state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle formation of the near side, J.D. split out left. They look left, back to throw is Adrian. He could step up and he's going to try to run for the pylon. He's to the five, he lays out, he's in! That's a two-point play for Nebraska, and they tied this game in Champaign at 35 apiece. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And we're back. Welcome Thursday night sports nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. So glad you've chosen to be a part of our program here tonight. We do appreciate that. Thank you so much for dialing us up. Coming up this hour, Brendan Stye, our own Brendan Stye, going to come on and reminisce about the 94 Husker victory over the K-State Wildcats. That's going to be our Nebraska Lottery greatest game tomorrow night here in place of Sports Honest. We'll relive that game, which was a one of those hurdle games to keep your season on track, to give yourself a chance to win the national championship. And Nebraska was a beat-up bunch going to Manhattan for that game, so we'll relive some of that with Brendan coming up in a few minutes. We're going to drop the next edition of our Conversation with the Cooks podcast tomorrow, a little snippet of that tonight for you here in this hour of Sports Island, including some thoughts from John Cook about uh, what – could possibly happen in the fall for college volleyball. We're going to start tonight, though, with reaction from yesterday's announcement from the NCAA that the moratorium on team activities for football, men's and women's basketball is going to be lifted June the 1st. A couple of schools, Louisville came out today and said, we want our athletes back middle of next week, ready to go on the 1st. Ohio State has said they're going to start team activities on the 8th of June. I don't know really why they're waiting till the 8th. Uh, tomorrow's the big SEC vote about whether they're going to lift the moratorium in line with the NCA. They will. It's just a matter of formality. Uh, and I, I still expect a, a, a release from the Big Ten Conference any day of saying, yep, we're going to give the go-ahead to that. Sam McEwen of the Omaha World-Herald has a story up this afternoon with quotes from Husker women's basketball coach Amy Williams. Uh, as it relates to this topic, she said, quote, the Big Ten wants to be equitable and fair, but they also are very motivated intentions to get the athletes back to working out and back on campuses if it is safe to do so. Williams said that NU Athletic Director Bill Moose has been clear over the last two months that student athletes are welcome to stick around the area and, they, and that they're safer if they do. Quote from Amy Williams, we're going to put the safety and welfare of our student-athletes first. Having them here has been his message all along. NU has formed a working group, Ben, focused on the logistics surrounding health and safety as athletes begin to return over the coming weeks. The initial wave of players will be from the football and men's basketball teams with perhaps a future NCAA vote, which uh, could let more student-athletes come back again. And I said this last night, I was surprised volleyball – and really, soccer weren't included in this as well. Those are your fall sports, football, volleyball, soccer, cross-country, another one. But soccer and volleyball, two of the other team sports for the fall that were not included in the, moratorium, the lifting of the moratorium yesterday, which makes you kind of wonder about where, where the NCAA is thinking about with those two sports. But we'll get to that later on. So here it is. You got, you know, Amy Williams, Fred Hoiberg has – told us that he's kind of he kind of told his guys he will, he wanted a June 6th meeting on campus to get things going it's not as imperative for basketball to get jump started right away as it is football football's the first one up on the calendar with that September the 5th 
uh, first game against Purdue on the docket, but and you, you and I both speculated last night. You, you got to think that that Zach Duvall's got charts and lifting plans out there that uh, he's got it all lined out who's going to work out when and also i should say too ben that today the governor pete ricketts beginning june 1st is bumping up the number of people that you can have at a gathering it's been 10 or less it's going to 25 june 1st which certainly helps a big squad like the football to work in bigger groups yeah i mean and and the, the good thing about that is you know we're starting to see not just positive momentum from the college athletics side, but from uh, a governmental side as well. So if those things can continually work hand in hand and be uh, rowing in the same direction, then then the, the, the more likely this is to get on track faster than we think. If, if we had the governor come out today and said, yeah, still not the results we want, still 10, um, you know, we're going to still put limits on everything, then then you might – throw up a red flag and go, okay, well, the NCAA is pushing this thing to get back quicker and quicker and quicker. And meanwhile, you got, you know, a governmental agency or, or the governor's office or the leaders in politics saying, uh, yeah, we're, we're not happy with the results. We are going to uh, stand pat with what we're doing. Um, I feel like that is definitely not the case. People are, it's synchronized in, in, in the, in the movement of, of propelling this thing forward and I think this is just going to keep leading to better and better news the longer that, that this goes. And, you know, back to your point about strength and conditioning, um, you know, I, I have a feeling the, the one word that we're going to come back to, and it's a word that we started throwing around a lot when this staff took over, uh, mainly in the summer and then, you know, ever since really is, is accountability. Uh, you know, there, Zach Duvall has, has some help with the – on his staff, making sure every single player on this roster is doing what they need to do uh, to put themselves in a position to be ready to go when uh, when when the, the gates lifted and they're ready to go. You better believe they are checking in with their athletes and making sure that those guys are doing the proper lifts, having them record. You know what what are your gains? What's your weight? Uh, you know increase of of weight lifted and all that and that's not something that you can lie about if you're a player because if you're if you're telling your coaches one thing you report on on campus and all of a sudden you can't do the numbers that that you were say you were doing it's pretty clear that you weren't telling the truth i mean the weights don't lie so uh, i think the accountability factors is there because if you're one of those players that are bending the truth about how much you have or have not been doing um, that stuff's not going to lie when, when you're on campus and you're lifting with your teammates again. Uh, you're going to be exposed rather quickly, and that's not going to be a fun feeling being in a, a locker room full of players and around strength coaches when you said you were doing one thing and you actually weren't doing that. Um, so I, 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 would, I would guess you know, pride want to, but you want those players on your team, Greg, that, that don't even f- think that way, that, that are wanting to do the work, that are embracing um, – the suck, if you will. We've, we've heard coaches say that a lot. This is a bad situation, but this is when th- you can make the argument that there are there, a lot of the separation of what we're going to see in the fall from multiple teams is happening right now. Those, those teams that are, you know, sitting on their rears and, and not doing anything and, um, you know, just kind of letting this time pass by and not working out are going to be passed a heck of a lot quicker than those teams that are, um, you know, busting their tails. So 
those re- results are going to show for sure. And you, you hope Nebraska is one of those teams that are taking this seriously and getting their work done. And by all accounts, from what we're getting, they are. So I'm interested in seeing how this is going to go. And, you know, we will definitely see um, the progress of the players and, and where these guys are at when, whenever it is that Nebraska can get on campus. To your point, this was Scott Frost. This is a quote from him when he was with us back on May the 11th. There's a lot of work that goes into getting guys physically and mentally ready to play football. As much as we can be doing right now, we're going to try and do so we're more ready than other people. We've been doing a good job of that. So I think his feeling is, is the communication they've been getting from their guys over the last two months has been positive, that they're getting their runs in, they're getting their lifts in, whether they're having a flip tires in the backyard or however creative they have to be because so many gyms have been shut down. I think they feel like they've, a lot of guys have been able to get some things done. But the t- yesterday's announcement of the June 1st lifting of the moratorium dovetail with the governor's announcement today of bumping gatherings from 10 to 25 really helps Husker football because a lot of position groups, you're going to have more than 10 guys in a position group. So 25 should cover it. You might, that may be tough for maybe even the offensive line, but that'd be about it. Everybody else should be fine to work out together as a group. It should make Zach Duvall and the strength coach's job so much easier. And for the basketball programs, it's clearly fine now to go to 25. That, that, that more than does it. And for Coach Hoiberg, he's probably like, perfect. I told our guys June 6th, this works out great for that. Any chance, Ben, in your eyes, any chance that the SEC doesn't say, we're a go June 1st? Imagine a world where all the other leagues in college sports are out working and getting better and trying to improve performance, and the SEC sits on the sidelines. I mean, that <laughs> is that not just the absolute perfect scenario? Uh, I just, I, I, for some reason, I just can't see it happening. I can't see the SEC letting, uh, letting Ohio state get to work, letting Louisville get to work, uh, letting some, you know, other schools that, that are in the, their backyard go work while they sit on the sidelines and, uh, and watch Netflix still or whatever. Yeah. A little hard to imagine that. So that vote takes place tomorrow. Again, the big 10 presidents don't gather until, past June 1st, they're not going to wait that long. Again, I you just know there's going to be some good announcement coming out of the Big Ten. They probably don't want to be the first one. They'll let the SEC take that tomorrow with their announcement, but I think they'll soon follow. I think all the Power Five conferences will follow up pretty quickly here. I mean, heck, you got Louisville out of the ACC today saying, yeah, we're telling our athletes to be back on the 27th, ready to go to work in the weight rooms on the 1st. We want them back so we can test them, make sure they're good to go. And then June 1st, we're back in that weight room and doing seven-on-seven drills and doing all that type of stuff. So it's off and running. Good, positive news if you are like us and really want college football to get back. It's also a good sign that so many of the governors and the health officials are are allowing some of these things to be opened back up. Hopefully we've seen the worst of this uh, COVID-19 uh, here this year. Come on out our Nebraska Lottery Greatest Game. Nebraska at K-State in 1994. And a guy who was a part of that team, part of that pipeline, Brendan Stye, joins us now. Brendan's also part of our team, one of our pregame show hosts here on the Husker Sports Network. Brendan, thank you for breaking away and spending some time with us. I hope you and your family are doing okay during these interesting times we're living through. Well, it's been crazy. Um, certainly, I think the beginning, everybody talked about it's a great time to, you know, get closer to your family, get reconnected. But then there comes a point where you want to kick them out the door. Um, no, just kidding. You know, Bryce, uh, my, my middle 
child. Uh, he goes to Ohio, so he's been home for eight weeks. He leaves on Friday to go back into Athens. I think they're going to open up um, what looks like a, some sort of OTA uh, right at the beginning of July. Just, I mean, like you said, everything's fluid and everything's changing. Uh, but, you know, I mean, life has been different. And life, I think, from this point on is going to be a lot different. Working from home, um, you know, trying to get as creative as we can as uh, an athletic fund department. Um, you know, we've had some creative uh, contacts with a lot of our donors, trying to, you know, let them know that we, we, we're still thinking about them and we want them to be connected with what's happening with Husker Nation. And so that's been a challenge. And then um, we've had to co consolidate and help each other uh, with different responsibilities, uh, certainly with the, you know, the, the renewal of the, the season coming up, tickets and seat yourself and all those questions that come with that and the timing of those things, uh, obviously with football, but certainly volleyball and all the questions that surround that. So it's been interesting. Um, a challenge. I think everybody can relate to the, the normal from working at home. Um, we do have a, a couple people that I work with that have little kids. So when we're doing our Zoom calls, <laughs> some of our professional development, uh, you know, you have to be mindful of trying to be professional. But, uh, you know, you just can't get away from that natural, you know, the kids playing and the dogs barking, all that good stuff. Yeah, I think we've all seen that and then experienced that with Zooms and all those different things over the last couple of months. We, Brandon, we've been having some fun, trying to have some fun during this kind of interlude of no sports and playing back classic Husker football games. And Friday night we're going to replay the Huskers game in Manhattan against Kansas State in 1994. You were certainly a big part of that. Take me back. Let's go back down memory road a little bit. You guys were, were flying high, ranked in the top five at that point in time, but but a team that had some injury situations at that point in time in the season, with uh, particularly at the quarterback spot. Pretty banged-up team if, as you go back to that week. What do you remember? Well, that was really the one thing that, uh, as I think about that game, uh, the quarterback situation, having Tommy out with the blood clots, and then Brooke uh, having uh, to go through uh, the punctured lung situation that he uh, sustained uh, versus Wyoming. And I think that next week after the Wyoming game, uh, which we almost lost, we were down 21 nothing first half. And Brooke ended up getting us back into the game right before the half ended, 21-7, and we ended up winning that game. Um, but the next week, I think, you know, with Brooke, um, it was kind of – you know, dicey to see if he would play. And then finally, I think in that game, at the end of the game, Thurman or uh, uh, Matt Terman came in. And, you know, certainly Terman had a lot of skills, uh, but he wasn't the option quarterback, and neither was Brooke. I mean, let's face it, Tommy Frazier was the best option quarterback in the land coming out of high school and sustaining that through college. And when you lose a guy like that, uh, you got to kind of shift and pivot. And we did with Brooke, I think. For the most part, we, we uh, took advantage of his strength, which was, I mean, he's very athletic, decisive, or deceivingly because he's so long, 6'4", but, I mean, he could definitely pull away from defenders. And so going into that game, having a punctured lung, uh, Coach Osborne decided the safest thing for him was to sit the bench and, and get Matt Terman uh, to take the, the snap from center. So, um, yeah, we were uh, – we're a pretty confident bunch up front. We love to run the football, as you know. Back then, I think we were kind of an 85 to 15% run-pass ratio. And um, Brooke changed that a little bit for us um, just because of his ability to throw the ball. But nonetheless, Tommy still had a gun, and, and you know, Matt could throw the ball. But we wanted to be conservative, run the football, you know, eat up the clock, um, make sure that uh, we, we knew um, that – 
protecting the football would win the game for us. Um, so when we went into the game, the weather was uh, pretty balmy. I know I can remember it was really rainy, uh, really wet. Um, you know, and Kansas State at the time, they were really primed. They uh, they had an amazing offense. They had a couple receivers, if I can remember one of them, Lockett, and then a kind of a, a utility guy, running back type of receiver, uh, J.J. Smith, I think his name was, and then Chad May. Chad May was in the conversations of being a first-round pick. Of course, he didn't even get drafted on the first day, uh, but that's a whole other story. Um, so, you know, the, the crowd, they were primed uh, to knock out. I think at the time we were either number one or no, no, we were number two in the nation. And they were top 20, maybe 15, 16 in the nation. And um, we were at Manhattan. It was a raucous crowd. And, um, you know, going into that game, we just had to rely on, uh, you know, the pipeline up front. Let's, let's get the job done versus a very, very talented defense. They had, uh, I want to say a couple, all big eight guys. Um, one guy in particular, Tim Colston was a three technique for him, but they were really good up front. They had a guy at defensive end, Niall Wyron. Um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. They had a really good linebacker Gaskin, I think his name was, but, um, you know, it was a challenge for us, certainly. One-on-one matchups, um, you know, and, of course, our offense really thrived on uh, creating double teams. And and going into the game, the game plan was to just pound, run the uh, the counter, which was the guard and the tackle pulling, running back following, um, some traps in there, very similar to what we did in Miami, as well as a little bit of the option. Uh, but for the most part, it was just ground and pound. A lot of Lawrence Phillips that day, Brendan, 31 carries and, to this day, a lot of people who've studied Husker football down through the years still think he may have been the most talented running back in Husker history. What are your remembrances of Lawrence as a player and the 31 carries he had in that game? Yeah, you know, Lawrence, um, he was so effective on the edge and had the ability, the uncanny ability to find that cutback. Um, you know, in that game, I think he even got hurt a little bit. I think he hurt his hand, so he was out of the game for a little bit. But uh, he was very effective, especially when we had a hat on a hat. Um, That counter, I remember, was pretty big in that game. We tried it going left. Uh, they were well prepared for Zach and I coming around the corner. They they loaded the box, six and seven, eight guys in the box, box at times. And so they were just downhill on the counter. And then when we started going to the right with the counter, you know, Zach and I blocking down and Joel and uh, uh, Rob Zavitska pulling to the right, it opened up. And I think that we had a really uh, a successful attack going to the right side a few times. And then, you know, just between the tackles, I think it was, you know, we made up our mind, uh, you know, we weren't going to mess around. Uh, they pretty much knew what we were doing. There were times and their stories about us just basically telling them, hey, stop it. It's coming right at you. And their defensive coordinator, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, it's been a while, uh, but I know that he has talked about that, um, you know, in, in years past from that game. And, um, yeah, we were just basically pretty vanilla and relied on a very talented running back and as well as our fullback. I know um, Joel McAvicka and Corey Schlesinger had a couple big plays in that game. McAvicka scored the touchdown early in the fourth quarter. Was that a fullback trap? Do you remember? Yes, I believe it was. Yep. Um, yep. It was, a matter of fact, it was kind of the same trap that we played. Uh, we ran against. It's our 30-31 series trap. Uh, that was successful against uh, Miami in the Orange Bowl. Um, I think Corey early on had one, and then Joel ended up scoring on one. 
Well, it was one of those games that if you drop a game like that, even though it was in mid-October, it might have prevented you from getting to the national championship, which you won at the end of the year. Usually teams, Brendan, don't they? They have a, a hurdle or two during the year you got to get over to keep the, the magic going, and that was one of those weeks for you guys. It was, especially going into that environment. And, you know, the, 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 the chips were stacked up against us. If you could, you know, kind of just take yourself back to not having – your two starting quarterbacks down to your third string quarterback, um, very athletic guy, um, but very kind of one dimensional. Uh, didn't have any passing uh, prowess to him. Uh, he could throw the rock, but uh, didn't have a whole lot of experience. And so we, re we relied on that running game. Uh, but Coach Osborne was always so creative and clever and timing is everything. And I know we took full advantage a few times, some play action, um, you know, they're loading the box and we're running some sort of, uh, you know, uh, option pass or maybe it was a bootleg uh, where a tight end was open or like Abdul Muhammad got wide open, I think, a couple times, um, you know, just wide open because they're trying to stop the run. So but that crowd, I, I'll, I'll remember it, you know, th at the beginning of the game, the warm ups, uh, Zach and their, their I think their left tackle, Barrett Brooks, got into a little uh, words of, uh, you know, going back and forth, almost fought at the 50 yard line. So it was, you know, if you watch that game, I guarantee you'll see the chippiness uh, throughout the game. And I know at the the end of the the contest uh, in the locker room, uh, Chad May was in the media's face talking about how you know we were dirty and we were gouging his eyes and you know grabbing him in places you wouldn't grab guys, but <laughs> we were just playing hard and they were playing hard as well. And so it was it was a well fought game, not a high scoring game. A couple touchdowns, a couple missed field goals, a couple turnovers. Yeah, it was exciting all the way to the end. Yeah, the last points of the game, a field goal by Darren Erstad. Those are the last yeah. three points of the game. How about that? The old the baseball guy helped you out that day. You got it. Yeah, Darren was – we had two kickers that year, uh, Tommy Sealer and Darren Erstad. And, and Darren was, I think, uh, inside 30 yards, and, and Tommy was outside. I think that was how the they worked it out. Um, very competitive between the two. And Darren was very talented, all-around athlete. You know, Darren's probably – his best sport was hockey believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, he could do it all. Yeah. Well, Brendan, we appreciate it. It was fun uh, reminiscing with you, I and mean, we're going to hear it all uh, on Friday night as part of our greatest games brought to you by the Nebraska Lottery. Always good to catch up. Stay safe, and let's hope we're talking a lot of football here in the coming months. You too, Greg. appreciate you having me. Enjoy the game. Right, but as we do each and every Thursday night, a chance to talk with Teddy. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Sponsored by Bathfitter, for the beautiful bath you've always wanted, kickstart your bathroom remodel by visiting bathfitter.com today. Now, here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Well, it's all over. The ten episode last dance. How'd you feel like they? Uh, how did you feel like they put a bow on the end of that thing? You know, honestly, I mean, nine and ten were good, but I thought the uh, series peaked with episode seven and eight. That was Agreed. such a hard act to, uh, yeah, such a hard act to follow. When Michael says, uh, "Break," takes his earpieces out, is getting kind of emotional and uh, explains his essence. Doesn't get any better than that. Nine and ten were pretty cool, though. Um, interesting stuff about Steve Kerr and his dad. Uh, that was surprising that they kind of veered off in that direction, but certainly welcome because that was an amazing story, and uh, we know what an incredible guy Steve is. 
And uh, it certainly left, uh, I think, a lot of us a mix of satisfied and wanting more and knowing, you know, how much stuff was on the cutting room floor. I certainly read a bunch about uh, the producer talking about how much footage and material he has from Michael's early days, you know, from the time he got cut by his varsity team to five-star camp, you know, how he really rose as an elite recruit. So there's so much more here. I read that Sonny Vaccaro sat down for a two-and-a-half interview, and they didn't even use any of that. Hmm. So uh, we need more, <laughs> preferably starting this Sunday. Who's um, – I mean, isn't it amazing they sat on that video of that entire year of 98 for 20-some years? Yeah, but you know, and you know the story, Greg. I mean, they, they had it. Adam Silver was the one who was uh, involved in NBA entertainment. He, he greenlit it, but with the concept that it was not going to become public unless the Bulls, or I think more specifically Michael, said go ahead and do it. Um, there's other video. Bill Wennington shot a bunch in that final year that has not resurfaced, so maybe that will someday just like when uh, when the Cubs had their great run, uh, one of their players shot a lot, um, Eric Harris. So, yeah, they were sitting on this gold mine, and, you know, Michael kept rejecting uh, story proposals, projects. And then he finally said yes, and I, I'm sure he's happy he did because the vast majority of people now are saying he's the best all-time, better than LeBron. But very surprising, Horace Grant went on uh, with Dave Kaplan, Chicago radio station, Lit into Michael. Scotty's had some negative things to say. So you, you would have thought people would learn not to tug on his cape. That's certainly one of the themes of the 10 parts, but uh, there's been a few bruised feelings from it. Teddy, does he get back to Chicago much, or is he? Is it a rarity when he's around town? I think it's an extreme rarity. He has a steakhouse here right on Michigan Avenue. I'll, I'll take you and Ben there next time you guys are in town. <laughs> And um, but you don't hear about him playing much golf here. Uh, he's, you know, certainly a, a member at a ton of clubs. Rich Harvest Farms is one of them out in the way western suburbs. But you just don't hear of Michael being here too much. I think he's in the Bahamas. I think he's around Charlotte. And um, so we don't get him much. Yeah. Speaking of golf, we had some live golf on Sunday. Did you get to watch yeah, any of that? Absolutely did. Um, I was rooting for the favorites, Rory and Dustin. You know, they have that birdie putt. They both had birdie putts on 18 to win it. And then they go to 17 for closest to the pin, and Rory pulls one out. I love that guy. So that was uh, so that was good. And it was just novel. You know, you and I were talking a little bit off air about, uh, you know, the cool factor of them carrying their own clubs. You know, things you'd never think you'd see. And, and that's how this coronavirus has been for me. Like, there have just been certain moments where you just stop yourself and are like, seriously? Like, for me, one of them was – when they when they postponed the Masters, which at first I didn't, I was in denial. Then the moment where they cancel the Open Championship, the British Open in Wimbledon, not postpone, cancel. Then the moment where it's announced that Wendy's is out of hamburgers. <laughs> They're just these times <laughs> where you just say, "What is going on in this world?" So you know, to see the top golfers in the world wearing shorts, carrying their own bags, uh, was pretty fun. Well, this week, it's the Tiger Phil-Brady-Manning duel. Yeah. Uh, this will be fun, and it, Tiger and Phil love to gig, gig each other, and so do Peyton yeah. and, and Tom. Absolutely. And, and I think Tiger and Phil realize they need to uh, the entertainment quotient. And I'm sure Tiger will be better this time around, in part because you know he's won the Masters since the last one. So 
I think he's was probably living in such a stressful existence for all those years, and now he's won. You know, he's won another major. He's completed uh, his comeback, and I think people really he realizes that people were pretty unsatisfied from the first iteration of the match two years ago. There was almost no smack talk, which I don't think was Phil's fault. I think that was on Tiger. He's you know he was so guarded, and uh, Peyton Manning is you know he's funny as you know what so I think he's going to bring out a lot of stuff from those guys I'm, I'm more of a Phil guy than a Tiger guy but I don't like Brady because I'm a Jets guy <laughs> so I'll have I'll have conflicting emotions as I'm watching you know after the last dance ended you heard a lot of people saying okay the next big one of these has to be about Tiger but I don't know yes. that you can get Tiger to open up the way Michael <laughs> opened up I just don't see Tiger ever being like that yeah, maybe in 10 years, you know, maybe. maybe when a lot of time has passed. Absolutely. And maybe when he's perhaps remarried and his kids are older and he wants to, you know, frame this in a way that, that they'll be able to enjoy. Uh, and, and that's what so much of this is. I mean, there are so many, you know, kind of random stories out there about Michael. And this was really kind of weaving it together, uh, whether it was the, you know, the flu game, the bad pizza game, whatever you want to call that one to, uh, you know, clocking Steve Kerr, uh, to answering, you know, why the d d dynasty ended after six. That, you know, this really just answered a lot of questions. And hopefully Tiger one day will say, okay, you know, I'm going to leave something for my kids so they can understand me fully, all my mistakes, uh, all the good stuff in my life, because absolutely, we need, uh, we need a big Tiger one eventually. Yeah. Teddy Greenstein's with us from the Chicago Tribune. He's with us each and every Thursday night. Let's get into some college football, some positive things that have popped yeah. this week. The NCAA yeah. allowing teams to get back together with some team activity starting June the 1st. We had Gene Smith, the AD at Ohio State, already kind of laying out plans to have a partially filled horseshoe for games this fall. This is all positive, isn't it, for us who love the sport? Uh, it, it's phenomenal. I mean, just in the span of less than a week, uh, it, I mean, a week ago, things were not looking good. I mean, a month ago, things were looking dismal. Yeah. Uh, at that point, we were reading about, you know, Kirk Herbstreit saying no and, and Pete Thamel saying the push is going to be for, uh, you know, to, to have the season in 2021, maybe a winter or spring season. I thought that was always going to be bizarre. But clearly there are a couple things at work here. And the first is the financial component. You know, this concept that schools and athletic departments would be at four billion dollars. How would they pay for other teams? How would they do all that? And I think this spirit of, look, this is going to be around for a while until we get a vaccine and we have to find ways to live with it. And, um, you know, we want to regrow our, our economy. Players want to do it. Schools clearly want to do it. The fans want it. I'm sure a lot of the medical experts uh, are not thrilled with, you know, hearing about uh, stadiums that will have 20, 30, 40,000 people. Um, but I'm at absolutely in the vein that it's worth a shot and – that's the spirit right now. I mean, schools are moving quickly. I think I read Louisville is opening up in late May, perhaps, for, for students. I think May 27th I saw for Louisville, and athletes can return like June 4th. Uh, it would be interesting to see what the Big Ten. The Big Ten has um, presidents and chancellors are meeting June 7th in Chicago. It's either June 4th or June 7th. So as we approach that date, um, we'll know more. And certainly after those meetings, hopefully we'll, we'll get some dates on uh, – you know, when this uh, recurrence is going to happen. Yeah, the SEC folks meet tomorrow, so we may get a, a peek of what they want to get done. 
But yeah. I'm encouraged. I, you know, I, I'm with you. A month ago, I didn't know. I, I, it, the odds looked long or maybe even a yeah. spring season, those type of things. It has flipped in the last two to three weeks. It really has. And, and baseball, the NBA, everything is, is kind of coming around to, okay, this is our new reality. Yeah. We can't shut down the world or an entire sport if, if a couple people are tested positive because obviously that's going to happen. We have to manage it. We have to deal with it. And we have to try to make this work. And I know there's some criticism out there from people who are saying, how can you have 20 or 30,000 people in a stadium? But that's three and a half months away. So, you know, I think the testing is going to uh, get much better. Um, the athletes can be tested. Certainly the, you know, the referees and the staff. And certainly if people are willing to wear masks, I think a lot of outdoor activities are safe. Yeah. Well, we sure have enjoyed you tracking down the local golf scene there in Chicago. That yeah. seems to change by the minute. Yeah, it's funny. They've they've uh, really helped me out in terms of the city and the state because it, <laughs> the golf courses have been like open, closed, open, closed, partially open, partially closed. And, um, you know, as sports writers now, we're all judged by how many page views we get on these stories. And people are ravenous in terms of wanting to know <laughs> the latest stuff with all these golf courses where right now Illinois is open, but Chicago is closed. So it, it's been it's been confusing. Uh, but bottom line is a week from Friday, if you and Ben want to cross the border and uh, <laughs> join me for a, a course in Illinois, we actually can take a cart and uh, can play in a foursome. You know, I played at one Chicago area course a couple Fridays ago, and it was the most desolate thing you've ever seen. I mean, there were only eight people going out every hour. Um, wow. It was, yeah, it was kind of a ghost town. Now it's been great for pace of play. We, we, we played in about 320, so that was nice. Yeah. But uh, I think the vast majority of people are realizing it is a fun, safe activity. It is uh, pandemic friendly. It allows for social distancing. And golf is big business and it's jobs and good for the economy. So I'm glad that uh, every state now has golf. Well, keep up the good work. Keep the folks updated at the last. They're dependent on you to keep them posted where they can play <laughs> and they can get on a card or not. Yeah, it's good to have some role in life. So I think uh, I think this is where I stand. I, I am, Greg. I'm happy to do it. Very good. Well, enjoy your Memorial weekend and we'll chat next week. Thanks so much. You too. Best wishes. It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with seven-on-seven drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the off-season with some seven-on-seven of our own. Seven topics. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back. From sports. From Manning, seven touchdown passes. To pop culture. I never joke about my work, 007. It's time to go seven-on-seven on Sports Nightly. Well, we've got the crew from Tuesday's SNBL All-Star Game reunited. Should right. be in good shape. I'll practice so up good. for this one. I know. Let's go. Had it at the All-Star Game. We'll have it for the postseason, I assume, at some point. Most importantly, we have it for 7-on-7 seven seven here tonight on Thursday, May the 21st, 2020 AD. Let's jump right into it. Topic number one. So food delivery app customers might have noticed the disappearance of Chuck E. Cheese from their list of options. Some might have also noticed the appearance of Pasquale's Pizza and Wings about the same time. 
What many of these people don't know is that Chuck E. Cheese rebranded as Pasquale's Pizza and Wings. Pasquale is one of the members of the band that plays at Chuck E. Cheese, so they made the poster, made him the poster boy instead of uh, our old rat friend Chuck. So if you guys were rebranding your restaurant for delivery purposes, what fictional character would be the face? What a terrible, stupid idea to take Chuck E. Cheese (laughs) away from all of us. I'm never, I'm never taking uh, my daughter there whenever she's born. We're never going to Pasquale's whatever. Chuck E. Cheese maybe, but not that place. <laughs> uh, give me like Sonic the Hedgehog or Donkey Kong. Those are like my two, ooh, my two favorite video game characters growing up. So give me one of those two. I, I'd probably do a Marvel character. Give me one of my Marvel characters and make that be my logo. Who's your favorite? Probably Iron Man. What kind of isn't Iron Man turned to like kind of a punk in in some of the movies? Ah, he's like the Civil War movie. He he has his ups and downs. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) he's a flawed character. Yeah, yes, he is. He is. I would go with a Mario Super Mario. You know, an Italian restaurant. Be perfect. There you go, man. It's like Mike Cereal Shack. You've already got the idea down. You just got to go execute it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. That's all it takes. Yeah, I, I would change Johnny Rockets to Iron Man Burgers. That's what I'd do. Ooh. Okay. What would be the signature okay. burger? What would you put on it? You'd be out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we'll stick with food for topic number two, at least in a roundabout way. Recently, Heinz Ketchup released a puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle, and the puzzle is a picture picture of ketchup, so it's all red. No other defining features whatsoever. Ooh. So, a uh, number of questions here. First, are you guys a fan of puzzles? Second, would you try this puzzle in particular? And third, what's the most pointless task that you've ever completed? Love puzzles. An all red puzzle would be hard to put together because you wouldn't have any yeah. distinctions, right? I mean, it, yeah. you look for those color variations to help you get started. That'd be a poof, that would be one rough. Puzzle Sounds like something together. ketchup would do. Like that's like <laughs> yeah. ke- ketchup. You're not a ketchup guy. No, like I mean it tastes fine, but like I feel like ketchup comes with an age threshold. Once you're past the age of ten, like move on to something else. Like <laughs> let's 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 uh, let's sophisticate the palate a little bit. We've we've done a couple puzzles during this quarantine thing here at the house. We've done one. And it got done in like 24 hours because we needed the table space. So <laughs> perfect. We uh, we purposely cranked her out so we could take it apart and get our table back. Ours was a food themed one. It was a candies, bunch of candies. Oh yeah, that's there cool. You. Like, did it have the wrappers on the candies? Yeah, yeah, like the candy okay. wrappers. So M and M's and Milky Way and Snickers and all those. See that one, yeah, you we, could at least kind of separate in sections. You could yeah. yes. work in right. It was sections. It was a thousand pieces, but it we we went through it pretty quick. We did a candy-themed puzzle over Christmas, actually. So did you? We were, yeah. I think it was a little bit different. It was like an old-style candy candies, but I think I'm I would ask on the ketchup one. I think I would just say, "Yeah, yeah not, not doing that one." I'm so, wondering so what the most pointless task I've ever. Yeah, done that's what I was gonna is. say. Answer answer the last question. I'm curious about your answers to that. Most pointless. That, it reminds task. me of a story, and it's not it's not one that I did, but and it's it's gonna sound kind of bad, but whatever. It's the first thing I thought of. And it wasn't it wasn't pointless. So, growing up, my dad would pitch wiffle balls to me in the backyard. And when we when we bought our package of wiffle balls, there was all different colors: red, white, blue, green, yellow. I mean, there was all 
kinds of colors. And there was this, I was probably 11 or 12, and there was this little neighbor kid that couldn't have been five or six years old, and he was just an annoying little guy. I mean, he was always wanting to play, always wanting to bat, not understanding I was practicing. He thought it was just a game. So what my dad did was he would, you know, I'd, I'd, there'd be all, all these balls would be scattered everywhere in the backyard. My dad would be like, hey, Tyler, you guess what color that ball is? I'll let you go get it. And so he'd be like, green. He'd be like, all right, great job. Go get it. And so he just tricked the little guy into shagging all the balls for us. Wow. That was, seems like a pretty pointless task now. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> we had a bunch of pine trees, so I used to always had to go around once a year and pick up a bunch of pine cones. Oh, hated that. Yeah, it's no fun. It wasn't pointless because you didn't want to mow over them all, but yeah, still, I did not yeah. like doing that. I When I was growing up, we uh, every. This only lasted like a couple of days, but at one point my mom had us go out and pick dandelions, but we did such a bad job of it. We wouldn't actually get, go down and actually pick them out. We would just you know, pluck, <laughs> Rip pluck the off the stem off. and they would, yeah. yeah, they'd come back in a day. So that was pretty pointless. <laughs> nice. All right, getting on to sports here for topic number three. So over the last uh, week or so, ESPN is putting out all-time starting fives for each NBA team. So if you guys could form an all-time Nebraska basketball starting five, who would it be? Oh, my God. Well, Lou and Piatkowski would be on there. Hoppin'. Hoppin'. Maybe Stu Lance. Yeah, Stu Lance and Vincent Hamilton. That's not a bad place to start, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, For- Jerry Fort was a guy I loved watching shoot the ball in the 70s. He was pre-three-point line. He'd have put up a ton of points if they had the three-point line. I think, I think that's probably our team. That's our group right there. Eric Strickland. Strickland. The He'd next batch that? would be like Strickland, Marich, Siobhan. JPJ, Isaiah Roby. Yeah. Maybe Glenn. Mm. Maybe. Lance G, I would probably G- go Lance Jeter over. Give me, give me Jeter over over G. Yeah. 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 That's, that's hard. That first. Those are the, those are the names that come to mind. Jerron Boone guess. probably needs to be in that discussion. Yeah. yeah. Right. Petaway. Perhaps. That first that five I, you I mentioned though. That was yeah, solid. the first five is probably it. I don't know that I would. Mikey Moore might even be like a third team guy for me. Yeah, I know he. I know he hung around the NBA forever, but he wasn't really that dominant of a college player. Right. Yeah, I think we got the big ones. Okay. Good stuff. All right, topic number four. Earlier this week, a plane had to make an emergency landing on Interstate 470 in Lee Summit, Missouri, suburb of Kansas City. The pilot was the only passenger on board, and he wasn't injured, although the plane did take a few nicks from knocking over signs while it was on the interstate landing. Uh, The interstate had to be closed for a few hours while they removed the plane. So do you guys have any fun stories from your times flying? Uh, This was years ago, but I was flying into Denver, and and the plane I was on did a touch-and-go where the wheels actually... We made contact with the runway, and they lifted her back up. And we back up. We didn't. Matter. Apparently, there was a plane at the other end of the runway that they didn't think they could get stopped in time, so they pilot pulled her back up, went up in the air again. Ooh, man, wow. most of my travel stories aren't fun. I mean, they're pretty much all terrible. <laughs> uh, Pick one. Yeah, relive it. Come on. Honestly, the worst travel day in history was uh, the one when I was trying to get to Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament. Uh, it, it, apparently, like, so you know when you, ch- you have you guys ever been like checking in 
and they say, and you have a connection, and they say, you know, would you like to switch to this connection that would make you arrive two hours earlier or whatever? Yes. And so I looked at the flight plan, and apparently there was a flight from Chicago that uh, something happened, and a bunch of seats opened up, and it would have got me there like two hours earlier. So I'm like, okay, I'll change it. But I still had the same flight from Omaha to Chicago. It was the flight from Chicago to Indy that got me there earlier. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm on the same flight going out anyway. And so I got my ticket, and apparently when I switched, it pulled my name off the flight manifest, and somebody else took my seat from the two seconds that I, you know, I selected the option. And so I'm down. I'm in the Omaha airport. I'm down, and it's like it's a first flight out. It's like 5:45 in the morning, and I'm tired. I'm delirious, and I can't get my ticket. I'm at the counter, and they're paging my name like on the over over the intercom, like even before I get to security. And the gate agent's like, no, you're not on the plane. I'm like, they're calling my name. Clearly, I'm still on the plane. They just shouted for me to get on the plane. And I was legit the last one on the flight and probably should have missed it. They held the plane up just for me. Sure enough, there was one seat left on the plane. It was mine all the way in the back row. I had to, had to walk by everybody on the plane. And, you know, there was a bunch of stuff that happened in there, but that's the short version. It was just a, an utter mess, utter mess. Nice. All right, topic number five. So former NFL player Chad Johnson, yes, Ocho Cinco at one point in time. He, he was back in the news, hadn't heard from Ocho Cinco in a while, so it's about time. But he posted a picture on Twitter showing that he had tipped $1,000 for a meal that cost $37.40. So if you're doing a quick math, that's about a 2,500% tip. So he included a message on the receipt that also said, congrats on reopening. Sorry about the pandemic. Hope this helps. I love you. So what are your guys' theories on tipping, and what's the most you've ever tipped? Well, first of all, good for him. That's really that's yeah. a cool deal. I'm glad to hear a story like he's that. He's got to turn his reputation around yeah. a little bit since he, he's cleaned it up. <laughs> he gets he yeah. gets knocked around, but I don't know that he's just a bad, bad guy. So good for him to do that. Um, I usually tip 18 to 20%. Usually is what I tip at a restaurant. Um, yeah, that's kind of standard for me. Yeah, I would say for me too. I mean, honestly... Uh, the most I probably tip is like if I know, like if I knew the waitress or you know somebody related to you, and you're you know just help them out, you know you, you whatever that that's happened before. But honestly, the most I probably tipped just because was the first time my wife and I went to a local pizza place here in Omaha during the pandemic. I think we tipped almost as much as the as the bill was just just to help them out. So that's probably. Probably the most just like of selflessness, I guess, is what we're going for here, as opposed to throwing a bone to a family member who's who's waitressing. Yeah, there is a difference. All right, uh, next topic. If you guys haven't seen this story, you'll probably think I'm making it up, but apparently scientists with NASA have discovered evidence in Antarctica that they think points to a parallel universe. And the kicker is, in this universe, time runs backward. So I don't think we necessarily need a question with this topic. You guys probably take and run with it, but I'll ask one anyway. If you guys could go back in time and change one moment in sports history, what would it be? Wow, that's a good one. Hmm. 
Like one, like one play, one outcome. One play, yeah, one play that would change. You know, obviously you would think that it would change a game. Like I'm, I'm thinking about the Huskers going for two in the nineteen at the nineteen eighty three season, the eighty four Orange Bowl, and going yeah. for two and not making it. Uh, might that take play. that. Might take that one second off the clock for Texas and 09. There you go. That was mine. Yep. Honestly, the first one that came to mind was the regional last year in Stillwater. Ooh, yeah. Take that pitch away. Yeah. Strike. Strike him out. Strike Trevor Boone out instead of instead of uh, what happened. That was the first thing. It's something I I, I would probably want to be alive for. You know, like. You, One you, that you remember. You could come, you could, yeah, you could come up with some stuff that happened before you were born, but that didn't really have affect me either way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, like the Byron Bennett missed field goal. Like, I was three years old, so, I mean, didn't ruin my day the next day. But the Oklahoma State game sure did. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, the, the Byron Bennett one and um, Salvador Perez versus Madison Bumgarner in 2014 came to mind for me. But I think part of the, you know, the story of the 94 Huskers and the 2015 Royals is that the crap happened the year before. So, yeah, it would have been nice, but does the next year happen with that moment? So if, it's, if you can tell me that those next years still happen and they still feel the same way, then, yeah, I'll, I'll probably change one of those. But if the next years don't happen, I don't know if I'm willing to change those moments. So I'm imagining this parallel universe. So, like, are you born at 100 years old? I just can't I, get off this. Are you born at 100 I, and you work back I to don't. one, or how does this work? So I read probably, like, 30 minutes worth of articles on this stuff, and I still don't understand it. Like, there's all sorts of, like, different particles floating, and they're going in a different direction than they're supposed to be, and they're not from Earth and, like, all this stuff. And it's from NASA, so it's, like, real stuff. Yeah. But I don't, I don't get it. I saw the story today, and I, I didn't read nearly as much as you did, Josh, but it, it was confusing. How would yes. that exactly work? But pretty cool to no think idea. about it. Reminds me of Stranger Things. A little bit. <laughs> yes. Upside down. Yeah. Speaking of that, season four needs to drop sooner than later. I'm tired of waiting. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of losing me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll wrap it up with topic number seven. So earlier this week, the Cleveland Indians posted on Twitter that they had hidden Nicolas Cage, or at least his face, in 39 of their lineup tweets from last season, sending fans on a Where's Waldo search back through their Twitter page. And one fan tweeted at him today that he actually did find them, or what he thought were all the Nicolas Cage appearances. So if Nebraska baseball were to hide a celebrity in its lineup treat, who do you, lineup tweet, who do you think it would be and who would you want it to be? Curtis Ledbetter. <laughs> oh. You think it would be or you would it's want little, it to be? It's a little random. <laughs> it's first, I'm just imagining Led's reaction to his face being on lineup cards. No. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Me? Um, oh, it's, it's the obvious, right? I mean, it's the Ersteds or the Gordons or the Chamberlains, yeah. probably. Shane Komenay, Komenay, maybe. yeah. Yeah. It's got to be one of those. But I feel, I, I don't know. I feel like they're obviously the big names. I'm just throwing in someone just a little more random, just fun Easter egg. What if, like, you don't, what if you don't make it a, they didn't make it a baseball player. They made it an actor. So what if you just made it some random yeah. person? So you could go Larry the Cable Guy, maybe? There you go. Greg, think of the most random Husker baseball player off the top of your head. Obscure. Name that you haven't heard of in a long time. Adam Bailey. We talked about Bailey on the stream the other day you with Zach. Yeah, <laughs> really. I'll throw I'll throw this name out and see if you remember him. This was before I was even in college. I, this was 2008. David Stewart. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Remember him? Big yep. power hitting lefty. Yep, first baseman. I think he was I think he was a one year wonder. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Give me Ben Miller. There you go. How about Tyler Ben's? Farst? Nice. That's yeah. a good one, Josh. Good Tyler Farst. Wasn't Ben That's Miller uh, Ryan Bolt's roommate? He was. Ben were. Miller yeah. Ben Miller works under my best friend. How about no, that? Really? <laughs> yeah. How about that? Oh, that's good. Well done, boys. Fun topics. No sports on this weekend, but we've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over 240 of them. Time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! All right, let's, uh, what, have we been, what have we been watching? What do we want to see? Ben, lead us off. Yeah, I've been cranking away on that uh, Netflix show, Outer Banks, just starting to get good. Um, interesting storyline, basically teenagers searching for uh, for an old ship, shipwreck, and looking for some treasure. So uh, not bad, not a bad show. I've been actually uh, watching some MasterChef. I, uh, it really inspires me to cook, and it's it's funny when Gordon Ramsay just gets after these people for, uh, <laughs> for not making uh, very good very good dishes or meals. So I've been liking that. And I've also been ingesting a ton of old YouTube baseball clips. Like, uh, I just watched a, a series on the Yankees that was an hour long. I'm just going to watch old and, and, and learn about just old baseball eras and players and stuff on YouTube. So that's what I've been cranking away at. Cool. Austin? Yeah, I've still been going on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Still loving it. Still a you fantastic like it? show. Oh, yes, it's fantastic. Who are your favorite characters in that thing? I mean, how can you not love Detective Jake Peralta? He appeals yeah. to a little bit more of my <laughs> immature side. And I, I don't know. <laughs> Captain Holt's kind of funny. I love their interactions. Boyle kind of drives me up a wall. but Hitchcock yeah. and Scully. Come on, Hitchcock yeah. and Scully. <laughs> They're, They're fun. Yeah. I can deal with them in doses, <laughs> not, not all episodes. <laughs> yeah, they're better as minor characters. Well... Speaking of sitcoms, uh, my wife had never watched How I Met Your Mother, so we've started oh. into that, which Good. is is great. Unfortunately, so she uh, didn't watch it while it was out. She happened to catch the uh, season or series finale, oh. like the oh, oh, no. No. Oh, and so she has all this time. Like I've, ever since we've been together, I've wanted to watch it, and she's like, "No, it's it's a terrible show." I'm like, "No, it isn't. You just have to <laughs> forget about that last episode. Just." put that out of your mind but that's yeah. like that's like that's like seeing who wins in survivor and then walk going back and watching the first episode <laughs> right exactly who's so. your favorite character in that one barney um obviously barney yeah yeah Mar i mean I, marshall I, marshall's pretty fantastic too i, I was gonna say marshall's probably at the, marshall and barney are probably right up at the top robin's pretty good too but yeah, yeah. i i there's a lot of good characters in that one very good all right, uh, last week I was kind of fishing around on Netflix, and I found a movie called The Score. It was from 2001. What a great cast. Robert De Niro was the lead, but Marlon Brando, this yeah. was one of the last movies he made. He passed away in 2004, and Ed Norton Edward was in Norton. this. It was, it was pretty good. If you kind of like movies that have a little twist, it's about a guy who's a jewelry thief, and uh, if, you have, if you like some twists and turns, it would be worth your time to go back and watch it. 
in, in college, I was on a huge Edward Norton kick for like a month and watched all of his movies <laughs> in a month, and the score was one of them. That was back when Netflix mailed you the DVDs. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah, it's called Dating The Score. There. It is on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also still not finished with the Roosevelt documentary on PBS that Ken Burns produced. I'm on episode five. They're two hours long, so I'm, ep- I'm almost through episode five. There's seven episodes. I think I'll finish that off maybe here in the next week. All right, those are our Flicks picks for the week. Our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. We can't announce it. We'll have Bill Moose with us on our Tuesday show, our athletic director show for the month of May. We'll get the latest on what's happening with this COVID-19 and the recovery from all of that. That's coming up on Tuesday night. That'll do it for this hour here on Sports Nightly.